Welcome to the Candidly Speaking Podcast. I'm your host, Luke Burke, and today I am very excited to introduce my first guest for season two, Kristen Gupta. Kristen is the author of three books, Greater Things, Date Me, and A Million Sons. She is proof that through faith, hard work, dedication, family support, you can accomplish anything. Please join me in welcoming Kristen Gupta. All right, I want to welcome everybody to season two of the Candidly Speaking podcast. Today, my guest is Kristen Gupta, and she has a very inspiring story, and we're bringing on a podcast because I want to inspire you because she's inspired me. So that's what we're doing today. So first thing I want to say is, how are you, Kristen? I'm great, and um, I just got married, so it's still a little bit weird to hear you call me Kristen Gupta. Ah, so okay, see, when you said, I was scared that I said it wrong because before it was Bill, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> so, okay. It's like weird and exciting and great. So I'm okay. great. Thank you. Congratulations, by the way. I don't know if I told you that before, but congratulations if I didn't. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. So just to be clear, is the new name is Gupta, not Bill. Yeah. All right. But I'm still, um, all, for all my book writing and all my business endeavors, I'm Kristen Beal. So I'll respond to either one. True. So we are going to get to that, too, about your books, um, because that's something I noticed when I was looking up your books that it still had build and I was trying to figure out which one did I have right or wrong. So I'm glad we mentioned that. So the first thing I want to ask as we come on here, can you tell me what type of things inspire you on a day-to-day basis? Yes, question. Um, the things that mainly inspire me and always have, I say always um, before my accident, which we'll get into in a minute, or since my accident about 16 years ago, we'll get, we'll get to that, um, has been the people around me. Um, the response of people around me and how I'm able to use my story of tragedy and hardship and loss and all that stuff to inspire the people around me. So I guess what inspires me is the ability to inspire other people and share my story and my faith and all that stuff. Thank you. Inspires me. Gotcha. I appreciate that. And I came across, I cannot remember how I found your story. We'll also talk about Date Me, which I think is amazing. <laughs> but um, I can't remember exactly how I found your story, but Date Me was the first thing that I that I came across. Um, so I just want to say also that you have really inspired me because one of the things that's always been on my mind is getting up to do something and do things. Part of the reason why I'm doing this portion of my podcast now is because of watching your story because I made so many excuses for myself on why I shouldn't do it or why I can't do it. And just seeing how you continue to move forward despite what was going on in your life. And I know it's been tough and I know it's hard, so I'm not saying it was easy, but just seeing part of your story really pushed me forward to, um, I mean, it was in my mind, but this really pushed me forward. So I really appreciate your story. I appreciate that. See, that is what inspires me and motivates me to keep going and doing all the hard stuff and getting up and never giving up because there's so much not to like rub my own back but there's so much motivation and strength that you can find in a story like mine or mine um and so it's it's really cool to hear to hear that people are doing things or more motivated or their their mindset has changed just because of you know me and i'm just living my life and trying to do it the best i can but it's just me you know 
Yeah. And it's, it's, it's really hard to explain because the way I see it is, and we'll get into it next, the way I see it is if, if all of that you went through, if you can still get up the next day and still push forward, then I definitely can try a little harder to do what I need to do um, to push forward. So let's get into that. So um, let's start at the beginning of your story. So there was a major accident, I think uh, 2005, um, mm -hmm. to set the story up, it was 2005, you were going into your sophomore year, I believe. Mm -hmm. So okay. you were going into your sophomore year and something happened. I'll let you take it from here and tell that story. Something that changed everything. So when I was um, 14 years old, when I was a freshman in high school, I was on top of the world. I had a ton of friends. I was on three sports teams. Um, lacrosse, field hockey, and competition cheerleading. So I was very active. I was happy. I had a very easy life. Um, I had a belief in God, but it was very easy to have faith because I had no challenges and I was very fortunate and all that stuff. So the end of the the end of the summer before my sophomore we start before starting my sophomore year of high school, I went to Lake Aston with three of my friends. One girl that I knew since I was a kid in youth group. A guy I met the weekend before at a youth group trip to King's Dominion, had a really big crush on him. He was really cute, <laughs> jokes, you know, that's all it takes. Um, and then another guy who I had just met, I'd seen him in school, but we never really, were different friend groups that we just met. Um, so we went to Lake Gaston. Um, I don't remember anything about the weekend except what I was told. The last, the last day of our vacation, we went on, we split up onto two jet skis with Field, the guy I had a crush on, driving Aubrey, my friend, and Mark, the new friend, was driving me on jet skis. And so Field wasn't paying attention and um, ran up on our jet skis. So he hit Mark, my driver, he fell forward and died on impact. And I was turning around like, what is that noise? And it hit me on the right side, left side of my brain for, mm. a, for a traumatic brain injury, sorry, traumatic brain injury, on my right side and in the middle of my spine, right at my rib bones hmm. for a spinal cord injury. And, but all that didn't matter because they called my parents up and they said, she's going to die. You know, they said it better than that, but like, she's going to die, you know, come see your daughter. Hmm. She's going to die. Um, which I can, I'm, I'm making that a little bit, I'm blowing through that a little bit only because I cannot imagine how difficult that was. And, yeah. you know, so um, my parents came to their daughter's deathbed and they met me bedside and they were told she's not going to live these these initial days. And when I did, um, they said she's not going to breathe on her own. She's not going to talk. She's not going to swallow independently. She's going to be a vegetable her whole life because my brain injury, um, you know, all this stuff. She's paralyzed from these rib bones right here down so she's not going to feel or move any any anything um so gone are the days of my athleticism and walking around and getting around the world with these um and she still might die so um so they kept me in a hospital in north carolina for about a month and then they flew me over to a hospital in richmond the, the acute care in richmond because that's richmond is where i'm from so i'm closer to home and i spent let's see um three months total in the hospital. And I did not wake up 
wake up i'm just saying in quotes because I, I had short-term memory loss for like the first couple like month um so i don't remember anything about that but i woke up in children's hospital and i you know couldn't sit up in my wheelchair for one i had a wheelchair which was a totally new thing to me i couldn't move my legs couldn't feel anything um and I had to relearn how to brush my teeth. I couldn't sit, I couldn't handle sitting up in my wheelchair for more than 20 minutes at a time. I was very tired. I was relearning everything. Um, meanwhile, all my friends are, you know, starting high sophomore year of high school and, you know, living normal lives. Hmm. So I, um, I got to a point where I was stable enough to be discharged in December of 2015. And they, okay, so at this point, they told my parents, she's never going to move, move, all the other stuff she disproved, but she's never going to move her field below her injury level. She's in a wheelchair for life. Have a good one. So my parents, um, being two little angels, said, yeah, she is. Like, that's not, don't tell her that she can't do that. So they did a lot of research while I was in there, you know, unbeknownst to me. I got out of the hospital on December 15th. And on January 1st, I was landing in um, Solana Beach, California to work out for four hours a day, five days a week at a place called Project Walk. Hmm. And I came back from there and they said, and, and I could wiggle my toes. I, I started wiggling my toes, which is against everything the doctor said. So now I moved from a complete injury, no feeling and no sensation to an incomplete injury, which is, you know, unheard of, hmm. maybe not unheard of, but it's very difficult. Yeah. Doctors say you can't do it. Um, and that kind of started my life of my life, my lifestyle of working out and keeping myself active and keeping myself in great shape. And, um, I've been back there eight times for a month, at a month, month and a half at a time. I've been around the world, Dominican Republic to get stem cells. I've been around the world to work out and I just like live a very healthy life. I'm going to pause right there because. Yeah. Wow. Well, shoot kudos to your parents man to figure out how to do all that i don't know <laughs> i don't know where they researched or how they found all that but man good job to them for figuring it out because some people would have just been like accepted what was there by a doctor because we honor doctors opinions so highly these days um so kudos kudos to them for um you know figuring that whole thing out um well that i know it's it's amazing yeah <laughs> it, it seems is. like it seems like god kind of like look at that now all in hindsight everything is easier in hindsight but i look at them how they are and were and me with the um ability to keep going and not not give up and all this stuff and i see kind of like things in my life and my childhood and just all throughout my life that kind of more or less prepared us for this mm. um or gave us the tools to do this whether it's things that happened in our lives or just like things that developed in us like you know our family was always very close and when all this happened to me we needed to be very close we needed mm -hmm. to stick together i also have a sister too and okay. um and just like things that have kind of like build it up build us to this moment so it makes me think you know in hindsight god knew this was going to happen mm -hmm. he couldn't stop it or he didn't stop it his free will but he gave us the tools to make the best of it yeah, because everybody can't, everybody can't handle a situation like that. And like you said, I think God knows that. Not everybody can handle that. And he's put you in a position to be able to handle that. Now, I'm not a person to sit here and say, kind of like you alluded to, I'm not saying God did this to you. I'm just saying, you know, 
you're able to, with your strength of your family, you're able to kind of push through that. So I want to touch base on, uh, I think that your driver was Mark. Was that mm -hmm. your driver? Mark was your driver and Mark didn't make it. At what point did you realize, first of all, are you still in touch with his family? Uh, I know you only, it sounds like you only knew him for a little while, but at what, but a tragic accident like that, I think bring people, can bring people together. So at what point did you realize, you said you were in the hospital for a while, at what point did you realize Mark didn't make it? And when you could remember Mark and knew who Mark was and what happened, at what point did you re realize that he didn't make it? And how did that make you feel once you realized it? Mm -hmm. um, so this is, in, this is a good question, interesting. Um, I, when I woke up, when I, my memory started coming back and I started retaining memories, I was told, about my accident in a very gentle way, not immediately, but you know, they took their time and they told me, and I had short-term memory loss starting at the beginning of the weekend before the accident. Oh. So like I said, I had only recognized Mark from school and that was the first weekend that I ever met him. So I actually don't have any memories of Mark, of mm -hmm. knowing Mark at all. I have no, like, you know, as of now, I have no idea who he was, um, which made it a little bit complicated because his, his family is, not really not not they didn't like turn to me for support and grief support because that wouldn't have been totally appropriate just because i was going through much so much myself but um i have i had they have reached out to me and said you were with him in his last moments what happened like what was he like what like what do you say all that stuff and i and i just i have no idea like i don't even remember him at all and that that was a little hard to um to be able to not have not be able to have the answer and i haven't been so also so then then so when they told me they told me you're paralyzed you can't walk anymore you can't do sports anymore you're in a wheelchair for the rest of your life mark died you know school has started you're, you turned 15 when you were in a coma all this stuff um so i so people asked me what was your reaction when they told you all that like what did you were you angry at God? Were you angry at, you know, field the guy hit me? And it's just no for everything because I woke up in such a, such a time where so much was already going on around me. Like my parents were already researching. My doctors were, you know, amazed that I was alive. And I was, I was kind of like fighting for every day. Mm. And, um, and I was also, I also woke up to an atmosphere of my parents saying, this is what happened. He died you could have died. You could have been a quadriplegic. You have your arms, you have your mind, you have all this stuff that could have been so much worse. God loves you. He's looking out for you. This happened, but we have faith in God. And this is like how it's going to be. I tell you, my parents are some of the strongest people I know. And so I, and then, and then my I started seeing my friends again. They started to come visit me in the hospital. And my friends are very like at the time and still, are very God focused and, you know, we're kind of on the same level for there. So I didn't really, I didn't have the, I didn't devote the time to being angry or being okay. confused or saying, why me? Because ultimately that's a waste of time. Mm -hmm. Easier said than done, but it's a waste of time. That's time that I could be taking to learn transfers faster so I can get out of here or get my mind straight and kind of dwelling on the past and saying, why me? I'm so, you know, pity me is um in my eyes a waste of time so i was just i was just in such a atmosphere of faith in god and i was fortunate and here's the alternative that i never got to the um angry stage i understand 
So one of the questions I was going to ask, we'll get to in a minute, is not so much as if you were upset at God, but more so um, if you believe that God is using this on purpose, uh, using his will through you. And we'll get to that in a second. But I want to read an excerpt from something um, that you wrote. And it, um, it's called Mistakes Were Made. Uh, I saw this I was as I was going through your website. I was just kind of reading through everything. And, you know, this kind of stood out to me. And it was from Mistakes Are Made. And and I want to know what comes to your mind when you when you hear this again. I don't know how often you I know me when I put stuff out there, I don't often go back and look at it. I'll read it one or two times and then I just kind of leave it alone. But um, hearing this again, I just kind of want to hear your response. So it says and, you know, speaking of yourself, there is nothing innate about disability. It requires a complete rerouting of our habits, lifestyle and interactions with people. In my case, I lived 14 years as an able bodied kid before I was in an accident that left me paralyzed and in a wheelchair. As a high school freshman, I was forced to erase 14 years worth of livelihood at the same time my peers were learning new skills for a new chapter in their lives, high school. I had to relearn expected skills like how to sit in my wheelchair for hours at a time and roll through the grass, yes, but I also had to learn how to pop willies, assimilate into social crowds by seeming as normal as I could pull off and improvise accessibility in an inaccessible world. Living with a disability brings on an excess of unforeseen complications to tackle on a daily basis. If you want to be successful, you got to stay pliable. So what comes to your mind, and we've kind of hit on some of that stuff, what comes to your mind hearing that again? Um, what comes to my mind is, well said, Kristen. <laughs> <laughs> Good point. It I was agree. well said. It was a great point. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I was digging for compliments right there. <laughs> um, so my whole, the whole theme, I guess, of what I said is of all that was that my life is just problem solving. It's flexibility. Um, people say, you know, pity you or feel bad for me because I can't walk, but that's the least of my problems because there's so much stuff that comes along with that. And there's so much, um, I guess, adaptations or things I need to change around or relearn or reroute in my life or, and then also reroute in my life to accomplish the fact that I can't walk. Um, but when you look at it, like that's not my biggest problem. And then it's also, um, while I'm trying to accommodate and reroute and relearn all this stuff, I'm trying to, um, a word is, I guess, cushion it for people around me in a way that makes me approachable and makes me, you know, people want to be around me and kind of share my, share my journey so I can also take people along with me and, you know, have the opportunity to inspire people or teach people from my struggle that I'm going through because otherwise I'm just struggling and I'm not getting anything out of it. So yeah. why not, you know, bring people along with me? But um, especially when I first went back to school um, as a high school sophomore, it's no one around me in my, in my high school or really my friend group had ex exposure to disability. I didn't have it. So I was trying to figure out myself at the same time as I'm trying, trying to, figure out how to how to help other people interact with me and also be kind of present myself in a way that is I'm just like you except I'm sitting down and I'm struggling with wounds and incontinence and you know not feeling hot or cold or like burns on my legs and stuff like that but I'm also trying to it, it was a lot of like I'm struggling but I'm smiling anyway but like I'm putting a smile on my face so that 
you think I'm happy. Mm. Um, and most of the time I am happy and I'm, you know, one of the happiest people, but it was a struggle at first. No, I understand. And one of the things that stand out to me is when you say improvise accessibility in an inaccessible world. And I think, I think in America, we do a good job of trying to be available for all people. But my dad, before he passed, he, you know, he couldn't get around very well. So the entire subject of, um, you know, access and, you know, things not being accessible to him often frustrated me. Um, so for you to say that part, I, I think really touched me in this moment um, because I think that's a very valid, valid point. And I don't think people really understand how that feels. Now, my dad at his age, people would expect that. But for someone like yourself, who was only 15, at 14 or 15 at the time, you know, that's a very hard pill to swallow. It's, um, it's, we need more people like you with exposure who get frustrated about it. Cause it's, it's very frustrating to me. I choose to not let it frustrate me cause it's pointless to just be frustrated. But, um, many times I've fallen out of my wheelchair in the middle of, you know, in, on the sidewalks in Richmond. One time in college, I felt actually on the dotted line in the middle of the road out of my wheelchair. It's just, I mean, that, that was not really an accessibility. That's just me going too fast. But, okay. <laughs> but the other ones, like the, so many places in our world, in my city, in my college, get exempt from inclusion of including everyone of being accessible because they're historical buildings, which are any buildings, you know, built or renovated before 1990 um, don't have to be accessible. So it's kind of a way to justify not including everyone mm. and not being accessible and just kind of discriminating a little bit. Mm. And this isn't something that I really pick on because if you don't, right. if you have steps on your, in your restaurant, I just won't go there. It's not a big deal. Yeah. You know, moving on. Um, some people get really upset about it, but again, that's, it's not worth it. So I don't waste my time with that. But, um, but it's and then and it's that and it's also it's physical barriers and it's also mindset because people, you know, love to stereotype. They there's a big big stigma around people with disability. Some of it is because of the people who start screaming, get really angry about inaccessibility and bad sidewalks and stuff. That's also a reason that I'm like it's okay, it's fine because we are all we are already different and we're already set apart just for the fact that we have a disability. Hmm. So why not try to blend in instead of, you know, make like make people feel bad for not including us or yelling at them or, you know, whatever. Just hmm. blend in. You don't have to yell or right. you know, upset. So well, I understand that people I understand people's stereotype and the stigma, but I just, you know, there's nothing I can do about it. But I understand why they have it. Yeah, I I think so I'll say this as well. So when I first approached you, you never made me feel any kind of way. I always felt comfortable talking to you about it. Even when, when I first saw you, the first question I had was, were you born that way or did something happen? And you didn't have any problems with the question. You just were like, hey, something happened. Um, so I appreciate that as well because for me, I didn't want to offend you by asking you that question. But I will say also, I know you said this is not your fight, but I think there there probably needs to be some type of fight to include when you're going places um, for accessibility. I don't know if that's a fight that I can take on, um, 
and I'm not saying you should, I'm just saying, you know, I understand about blending in, but I think there should be more voices heard um, about, you know, someone who can't, you know, access things. And the last point I'll make about it is being a veteran myself, I know a lot of people who have, you know, disabilities that they can't do certain things. And it's been a constant fight to make sure that they have access. So anyway, I won't get all off into that, but, um, say that really quick, not yeah. to say that I don't appreciate it and love it. It should, it should definitely be a thing, yeah. but I don't have a loud enough voice and I'm, mm. I'm very thankful for like ADA and people who advocate. Mm. I just personally, it just exhausts me and like, <laughs> and I'm not, I'm not assertive enough to okay. do it myself. I'm very thankful and I'm very glad there are people doing it. Cause I agree. Cause it is annoying and a little frustrating when I can't get into places. It's yeah. actually very frustrating. Um, so I'm glad there are people out there doing it for me. This is this is an instance of like lay back and receive the gifts. Yeah. Okay. Uh, which might be, bad, but you know that's me. <laughs> no, I understand, and thank you for clarifying that. So after the accident, what made you? What was that point where you figured out I need to share my story? Because sometimes we just we're like, hey, my story is my story. I don't need to tell the world. So at what point did you figure that out? Mm -hmm. So I got out of the hospital, like I said, in December of 2005, when I was 15 years old, and I started, um, you know, experiencing all these new things and living this whole other life just because I'm in a disability, but I'm also, um, you know, traveling around the world for therapy. I'm also trying every adaptive sport out there. I'm, you know, in, in I tried all the adaptive sports that were available to me, except for basketball. I just don't mm. want to do basketball. I don't know why. Um, but at this point, I'm about to do, at the end of the year, I'll do my 13th marathon. I'm a um, wheelchair fencer, and I, like, have tried everything, and I, not everything, but I've tried a lot of stuff, and I'm just experiencing all this, all these new things. And I'm also doing this while blending in at high school and in college and, and doing all those. And there's so much going on in my life that I turned to writing for, um, I signed up for a creative writing class for DZA because oh, I needed nice. that. Okay. And then I realized I'm good at this. I enjoy it. This could be useful. So I started writing down my experiences and, you know, putting them on my bed, storing my computer, you know, whatever. Mm. And then I, in 2014, I published a book for my parents and my sister and my grandparents, just happy birthday. Here's what I've been doing. You didn't know that I've been writing, but I have been mm. and Merry Christmas. Um, and I just fell in love with that process of self-publishing it. And so I kept working on it, added more stories, added, went, went a little bit deeper. And I started pitching to um, producers because I know that, or publishers, because I know that I have a good story and I know that it has the ability to impact other people and um, if nothing else, just my faith throughout this whole time, this whole life that has just stayed so strong and just God has been so faithful to me in the face of something that seems so unfortunate, my situation, but I have the best life of anyone that I know. I'm happier than anyone else. Like just the ability to turn something terrible and, you know, into the glory that it is now. And so I, about a year and a half, I pitched publishers and then I finally found Morgan James and I published Greater Things, my first book, um, which is the story of meeting Field at, at King's Dominion, having a big crush, him hitting me all the way through going to college. Um, so it's that whole big story. It's a great book, one of my best. Um, 
and then that came out and I had the, the inspiration, the feedback of this book is really great. I had no idea you went through that stuff. Like mm -hmm. you were so strong. Your faith is so strong. I can see what you went through and I can see how God was with you. And that inspires me. And that all that inspired me and motivated me to keep going. Mm. No, that's really good. And I think it's a good segue to, so the scripture that I referred to earlier was uh, John 9, 1 through 5. And I'm going to read it here. Uh, I believe I have an NIV version. It says, as he went along, he saw a man, a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned this man, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So in light of that scripture, do you believe that this happened to you so that God's will may get the glory through you in your accident? I don't believe, like I said, that God caused this accident. I don't think that he planned it and put it into place. But I believe that it happened because we have free will and he took he took this, you know, terrible thing that happened. I just said terrible. It's terrible that Mark died. It's terrible quotes for me because I, you know, turned out good. I think he gave me the tools and gave me the ability to turn it into something good. And that's really where we see God working is that he um, made a hard thing into something beautiful. And I think that's, that's his main duty job is to make good for people who love him. Hmm. And I do. Yeah, and I think I, I also think about the scripture. I didn't write it down, but there's a scripture that talks about, um, you know, God is saying my yoke is e easy um, and my burden is light. Um, so I, I think about that as well. Um, so you're very open about some of the struggles that you went through. And you talk about it to help people. Um, so one of the things that I read that you talked about and, you know, if you feel comfortable continuing in this conversation, um, you talk about some you you I think you kind of made light of it a little bit um about how sometimes you might get in the shower maybe forget your socks are on because you can't you know feel so you've been pretty open about that why do you feel like it's important to be so open about those type of details for people to understand you because those things like that um last night i took a whole i took half of a shower with my underwear on and i'm like mm. dude how do, how do you do that but Finding, finding the humor in my situation, because again, we are the other, we are stereotyped, stigmatized, whatever is good, rightly so, I guess. Um, but to put me on a level playing field to say, you know, I'm just like you, I'm a girl that I just sit down a little bit more. I forget, I do silly things like wear my socks in the shower and like, you know, put a most recently yesterday, I held a, um, steaming hot cup of tea in between my legs mm. you know and it burned me of course that's my most recent dumb thing i did <laughs> but it's just like i just i make mistakes just like you just because i am i've been paralyzed for 16 years doesn't mean i remember things all the time or i don't make mistakes or that i'm like a pro at it because you know i don't really want to be called a pro at disability because <laughs> that's not great but just just to i want people to see that i'm just I'm just Kristen. I'm just 
you know, I'm approachable. You can talk to me about things. I'll answer anything you tell me. There's nothing is off the limits. I make stupid mistakes. I'll laugh about it. Hmm. I'll do my best to, you know, relate to you because I am just like you. Right. And that's, um, and that kind of answers my question because I was going to ask, do you feel, do you get more frustrated in those type of incidents or do you kind of just laugh at yourself in those type of incidents? Just laugh at myself because yeah. I don't know. I'm not going to stop, you know, doing dumb things. I mean, maybe one day I'll stop getting <laughs> with my clothes on. But like, I'm not going to, like, maybe one day I'll learn my lesson that, like, my skin, like, is, you know, just because I can't feel it didn't mean it's not there, Kristen. Um, but I'm just going to keep making mistakes. So you might as well just laugh at them and try to try to learn for next time. But you know, I'm human, so I'm going to make silly mistakes. It's fine. I, I give myself grace in that, mm. that, you know, I'm not perfect. I'm not a pro at disability, nor do I want to be. So right. it's okay. No, and I can appreciate that too, because uh, I think I read somewhere, did you say you had like a, a hot plate burn on your lap? I think you said. <laughs> I've done that. I've done that many times before too, okay. but like many times. I've done that like more than three times. I don't know oh, really? what through my head when i'm just like oh i'll just store this right here like it'll be fine <laughs> but it, i mean i have scars okay <laughs> okay so we're gonna transition a little bit because when i was first introduced to you like i said i found you i know you said your first book was great at things but i found you i it must have been it must have been the artwork i must have been on instagram one day or something and i saw the cover of the date me book and i was like hmm what is this about you know um and then when i started getting more and more into your story i was like okay this is interesting this is interesting and immediately being a guy who wants to get into film and stuff my first thought was wow this would be a great story but little did i know you were already on a trajectory of getting all this stuff out there so uh oh. i'll backtrack a little bit though um how did you end up transitioning this to the date the whole date me part from a book to a before we even get into that, talk about the Date Me book, and then we'll talk about how you transition into it being a web series and stuff. So talk about what the Date Me book is all about. Okay, so in the a very another very big act of faith in God, I quit my job at a mortgage banking company um, a month before Greater Things came out to be a full-time author. And I said, I hope that you know my books are successful because I need to be able to eat, but also I don't want to be in the mortgage industry anymore. It's boring. I want to be an author. So I quit and said, you know, Jesus, take the wheel. Take the wheel. Um, so then <laughs> about, to be cliche, about three months after Greater Things came out, I said, all right, I either got to get another job or I need to publish another book. So what is something that my answer is publish another book, of course. So I say, um, what is something that I'm good at, that I know enough to write a book about, and that, you know, I have a platform, so what, what can I make out of this? And the answer was go on first dates um, because – I've been on a lot of first dates. So I thought of the idea of, of date me. I updated my, my dating profile and on the next two and a half months, two and a half months, I went on 32 dates, wow. which is don't recommend it to anyone, which is like four <laughs> different guys, like, like, you know, just nonstop. And I made a rule with myself that I wasn't going to, for those two months or however long I thought I was going to last. Um, I was never going to say a no to any date. I was going to take whatever it was because, you know, I wasn't chasing the story. I was still, if I found a guy who I wanted to be with, that would be the end of the experiment. We're going to call it. But, um, but 
it was just on every date I was going on, it was, you know, overly sexual, a rude comment, a rude question, like an invasive question. You know, the whole date we're talking about my disability, what I can and cannot do, what I can and cannot feel, which wow. that's where we get the invasive co comments and like gross questions and kind of like, are you treating me like a lady or are you like being gross? And yeah. the answer was being gross. So anyway, I went on 32 dates, two and a half months. Um, only one of them were successful and he was going on a, um, a motorcycle trip around the country. He lived in California. I live in Virginia. So, um, you know, this was great, but I'll never see you again. Mm. Anyway. Um, and I turned it into a book. I added a comic book. I added, um, some comics about just living with a disability, just their comics. So they're funny. And I, all these dates, I made them funny. So it's not like a sad comic, but I also have like there are five jokes that I, that I thought of that everyone always says, like, you should get, like, follow the speed limit. You should get blinkers on that thing. Like, you know, just, just stuff, just stuff like that. That's not right. offensive, but it's just not funny either. Yeah. Um, it's kind of silly. Um, so that's, that's date me. That's, um, mm. you know, all the comics and date me. And then I'll let you get to the next part. Oh, no, th this is great. I just want to continue to hear about, you know the story of date me because i remember one of the stories you told me and i could i never really saw it from your side one of the stories uh about i can't remember exactly what happened but you were on a date and pretty much what you were saying these guys ask you really really weird questions and in any other circumstance they would be like way too awkward and I'm, they probably were awkward in this circumstance too it's just even more awkward hindsight looking at these situations like why would you even ask someone that kind of question you know so no i just i just really wanted to continue to hear about um if you had any kind of uh example that you would be um willing to talk about not in too much detail but an example of a comment that someone makes you other you know you said the the light blinking one are there any other ones that you think were I wouldn't say interesting, but something that someone wouldn't make to someone else. You know what I mean? Like, how are you saying that? Like, for one of the dates that, as you'll see, went epically badly, um, this guy was, he was asking me, like, what's your disability? Whatever he asked me. And I said, spinal cord injury, can't move or feel below this level. Um, and he said, and he said, I don't remember how it progressed to this point, but he said the end comment was, if you would work harder and like work out more and be in better shape, maybe you would be able to walk or like, maybe you wouldn't be in like such bad shape. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to make a comic out of you. So like, what do you mean? And I was like, at that point, like I'm, I'm fine with it. I'm fine with like being treated like garbage because you know, I'm putting them in a comic, but it's like things like that. And like things like I'm telling someone's asking me, what can you feel? What can you not feel? And I'm like, nothing below here. And so I'm sure you can imagine they get into the very, um, yeah. like, I'm like, I don't even know these words. Like, what are, the, what are you talking about? Um, yeah. And it's just, and then and like, and, and like knowing I'm in a wheelchair and inviting me to a Richmond inaccessible stair, like 13 stairs to get up of it, to get up there. And just like, you know, I show up and I'm like, I can't get in. And you knew that. I don't know. But I mean, some of it, a lot of it was like, I don't know any better. I don't have any experience with disability. I'm just going to ask this question. I'm just going to act this way. People don't know. So I'm not saying guys are all bad and, you know, I'm not doing that, but people just, 
don't know and it's amazing how much they just don't think or they yeah. think that they can get away with and you know it's fine because i gotta get a comic out of it but you right. know it's exhausting no it sounds interesting too because a lot of comedians that i listen to they kind of go through a similar process where and i'm not sure if you learn that strategy or if it's just something you said you were going to try but a lot of comedians that i follow they kind of go through that process where they examine the things that are going on going on in their lives and they're like I have to do what's real to me. My comedy has to be what's real to me. And mm -hmm. um, it, you know, it sounds like that was a similar process um, that you that you went through. So and now with that, we'll transition again. You have two other books that one of them that you mentioned was Greater Things. Um, another one you meant, uh, I don't think you mentioned uh, is A Million Sons. A Million Sons is the the latest one, correct? Or is that? Mm -hmm. Correct. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I'm going to read, I'm going to read a little bit from what I saw in these books and I'll let you elaborate more on what these books are and all your books can be purchased from Amazon, correct? Yes. Correct. Now, Amazon can they be purchased directly from your website as well? Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. Okay. If you get on my website, I'll kiss the cover. I'll sign the, <laughs> sign the inside, all that stuff. But Amazon is just as good. Okay. And also, um, I actually wanted to order one of your shirts, um, so we'll have to talk about that. I was tr I was trying to order the one with the from the date me with the girl in the, oh, in yeah. the wheelchair in the front. I was trying to order it, but I have to talk to you about it. Um, I don't know I don't know what happened. I was trying to order it, but you know we'll we'll deal with that and we'll let you plug your website here in a minute because we're we're uh, rounding the basis and we're almost done. So. Uh, Greater Things is a raw perspective on everything from how people react differently to, to her situation, to learning how to navigate in and through an inaccessible world, to just trying to make the best of a crummy situation. And A Million Sons, uh, it says, is the story of her embracing her disability, navigating the world, both socially and logistically, and trying to make the best of a bad situation. A Million Sons recounts Kristen's effort to embrace her difference and discover a happiness she never ever expected. So can you go a little bit more into those two books? And um, I know uh, Greater Things were your, was your first book, but we talked about Date Me because that's how I found you. Um, mm -hmm. But can you go a little bit more into detail about those, those two books? Yeah, so Greater Things was a story of um, King's Dominion until college, like I said. And A Million Sons, the whole theme, I guess, of, the theme that developed in Million Sons is finding my passions that I lost with my disability. So like I said, I was an athlete um, before my accident and three-time athlete. And then after I tried every adaptive sports, adaptive sports, sports have always been like how I cope with stuff and how I let out my energy and how I, um, I guess, strive to something. So I needed that when I got out of the hospital. And that was for about four years that was going to the gym. That was my sport and I loved it. But as I think is inevitable, I got bored and the gym is just very boring to me. And I need, just cause I don't know what to do and whatever. So I needed a sport. And I, so I found a little bit of a spoiler alert, but it's not bad. I found my passions through greater things in um, pan cycling, which is my equivalent to running for a marathon. So like I said, 13 marathons at the end of December, I have um, a wheelchair fencer. I'm a nationally competing wheelchair fencer. So mm. I found fencing in that book. And then I, I met my husband. We have a little bit of a story of how we met. Um, so those are like the passions that I found in A Million Sons. 
Um, so it's, but I also try, and I also, all this is like with humor and in, into it because I'm just a normal goof who makes silly mistakes and like has a funny, like a weird and unique perspective. So, um, so it's trying all these new things, my experience, my thoughts about them and finding my passion. It's making sense. Yeah, it does. So can you go into the story on how you met your husband? Yeah, so this is fun. So we, um, I was dating another guy who I met on a dating app. We had nothing in common and just, he just, you know, I was just dating him. So um, that's the background. So then one day at church, um, I showed up late, woke up, slept through my alarm. You know, I never do that. I did it this morning, that morning. Um, and he was coming back from a trip. So we went both went to our, uncon our not usual services, the same service at 930. And um, I have a seat that I always sit in, creature of habit, I guess. So I call it my seat. You know, it's not, but it is. Nice. Um, and he was sitting in my seat. I saw this guy from afar. He's like a seat, like a guy sitting alone, pretty attractive, I can tell. So I say, a single guy, you know, attractive at church. He's got to be married. Got to have a girlfriend. Mm. You know, I'm I'm in like have a bun in my hair, sweatpants, and a t-shirt. <laughs> I'm late for church. Anyway, um, so I meet so I meet him. Um, I go to my seat, like, hi, I'm Kristen. He says, one of the first things I said was, you're in my, you're in my seat. <laughs> like, I thought it was more polite than that. But anyway, I said, you're in my um, We have a two minutes to talk on our church. It's like two minute discussion topic to meet new people. The discussion topic was, what is something you've always wanted to be better at, but you're not? And so I talked for two minutes about um, how I'm not a good eater. And I have a beautiful kitchen, but I don't eat. I might be malnourished. Like, hi, my name is Kristen. I might be malnourished. Like, I don't have an eating disorder, but I also might. I'm not a very good eater. I'm like, I don't eat enough protein. I'm just like talking, like nervous talk, I guess, for two minutes about how I'm malnourished. Um, anyway, and then I, then I, on the way home, I'm like, I lost him. You know, never see him again, but it's fine. He's married. Um, anyway, he wasn't married. <laughs> and um, he... And so I said, you know, bye. And we, he signed up for my small group that two weeks later and um, showed up at my house. And I'm like, hi, I guess I didn't drive you away. Then he asked me on a date. And that guy I was dating, he kind of like, he didn't like battle with them, but he showed me. He, he, I saw how much better Christopher was than this guy I was dating. So I dropped the other guy like yeah. it's hot. And I started dating Chris. And, um, you know, the day after our first date, he went to church with me and my mother. Mm. So it's, he was in, <laughs> he yeah. was in before he was in. Because <laughs> wow. my mom loved him. No. No, that's, that's an amazing story. So he's never, so he's always, he's always just approached you like you want to be approached as who you are and not what your circumstance is, it sounds like. That was a big thing. He says, which it's, it surprised me and it felt too good to be true for mm. a lot of months, but he says, it's not a big deal. You're just in a wheelchair. Like, it's not, I don't know why, like, not, I think it's a big deal, but I, but like, I don't know why people think it's a big deal. Like, you're just like, just like I said, you're just sitting down. You just have disability. We all have something, you know, and he's never treated me any different. And it was just, it's so different from all the guys I went on the dates with for date me. Um, so I didn't believe it until about four months in, until I finally like, relax, this guy really is good. And, mm. you know, and, be me like disabled me mm. around him fine with it and he just like i mean sometimes like silly things i do like burn my leg or 
have an accident because I don't have bladder control. He just like blasts it off and says, I don't care. It's not a big deal. Like, let's clean up or let's get you a bandage. Like, it's not a big deal. And I'm just like, still, like, two years later, I'm just like, don't you like, I don't know, don't you care more? Mm. But I'm glad, like, in, in the right way. It's, he's perfect for me. Wow. He is a, sounds like a really, <laughs> really good dude. And sounds like yeah. you've met a really good person to, to marry. Mm hmm. And he's hot too. <laughs> <laughs> <It's awkward. Yeah. laughs> hey, I'm 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 sure he will be. You you peeped him out from like the the other side of church or something like that. You said you you saw him over there sitting in your chair. Uh huh. So, <laughs> my question is: Do you now? This is a far deviation. Do you watch the show? Have you ever watched the show, or do you watch the show Big Bang Theory? I have before. You have okay, so you might not know the reference about the the character uh, Sheldon. He's always um, he's always upset if people sit like in his spot in the chair. So it's like a thing where you don't sit in his spot in the chair. So, um, is what you're saying? <laughs> yeah. So yeah. It, it was it was just funny that he you know that was that was his thing. So, um, so I guess uh, now that we're coming to a close. There's a couple things that I want to say and ask you. So first of all, what's next for you? I know you have, um, if you can talk a little bit about what's next with the web series uh, slash TV show, because I think you're on season two, correct? Yeah, episode two. <laughs> oh, episode two. Okay, sorry. I think, yeah. I, okay. So episode two, um, I watched episode one. Um, and what I think you do really great is you you make situations that might be uncomfortable to people and you do find the humor in that and i think that's great because for someone like me it's not always comfortable to laugh you know um and i think you do a really good job of saying hey guys i realize my situation it's okay to kind of laugh you don't have to take me 100 percent serious because you see me you know so the first part of that is what's next with with everything there and also want to ask you because I coach basketball when are you going to try <laughs> basketball what do you have against it so to answer your first question first because we forgot to go over this date me the comic book about dating in a wheelchair is a tv show it's being turned into a tv show I'm working with a local production company the first episode is on youtube if you search date me um, we just filmed the second episode I think we skipped to this might be wrong um just filmed the second episode couple weeks ago and it's going to be out soon hopefully so everyone go youtube date me um so the what's next the second episode coming out and we are searching for funding um like crazy so we can film because we have three seasons in mind um and so the the episode you know the person who plays Kristen is all the way from california and then we have seven dates three different four different guys um, we're cat so I'm online dating through picking again. I'm online dating again, except I don't actually have to go on the dates because I'm just casting these guys. So I'm like, oh, he's cute. Like Kristen will date him, mm. but I don't have to do it, which is the perfect situation. Right. Um, and so we're on episode two, and we're searching for funding for episode three, trying to get picked up by somebody so we can finish it out. Um, and that's next. I have um, four marathons coming up in the next three. Um, cause I like, am a lunatic <laughs> and but that's, that's also coming up and, uh, we are building a house. Christopher oh, nice. and I are building a house and husband. Um, and you know, a lot going on. I'm ready working on another book a fiction. Um, you know, don't stop Kristen. I'm not. So, so okay. there's a lot going on. 
um, and basketball. I'll get to that. <laughs> I, it's just so like I'm just not naturally good at it, which okay. is annoying. Okay? Which is fine because I can work for things. But it's it's also like it just seems like a, oh you're in a wheelchair, you play sports. Like oh you should try basketball. Mm. You know, yeah. Call me at whatever you want to call me, but it's just like such a ba- it's just like such a basic thing. I don't know. There's no really good reason <laughs> except. <laughs> that I have found fencing and I've found my passion in hand slicing and fencing. So I'm not as much trying new things, but it just like doesn't seem fun to me. Gotcha. No, I, I understand. So uh, <laughs> a quick question. I, I do. So a quick question about the um, the actress that you have playing you. Is is she in a wheelchair, wheelchair as well or is she learning how to use a wheelchair to play that role? She is borrowing my wheelchair. She's able-bodied. She's borrowing my wheelchair. And um, at the end of the first weekend of filming, I said, you're probably, you're kind of going to miss being in a wheelchair, aren't you? Totally kidding. She's not. But right. she's good at it. She picked it up very quickly. She's mm-hmm. a very good actress. Her name is Emily Chanel. Um, she picked it up like she's done it before, which she hadn't, obviously. But um, but she's great. We tried, we, I mean, we, we tried a little bit to, the problem is that there are not as many, we've, I've gotten some flack about this, mm-hmm. um, about you know, casting able-bodied people for disability, whatever, but there are just not as many um, disabled actresses out there. We do have my um, rival, my fencing rival, which is the only fictional part of Date Me because I love everyone so much. I don't have a rival, but in Date Me, we, we created a rival okay. and she actually is in a chair. So okay. we do have this represented and I'm going to be rolling around in the background, making weird noises into the camera by accident. Um, and in a scene too. So um, there is some disability. I mean, there is some like genuine disability in there, but she's not in a wheelchair, but she does an excellent job. Okay. So the, so because if I'm remembering correctly in episode one, there is a fence and scene. So the person that you're, that your character is, is going against that person is actually in a wheelchair. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's the girl who plays Gabrielle. Okay. Really neat okay. Girl. Okay. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, this has been this has been excellent, Kristen. I really appreciate you taking the time to um, come by and just have a conversation. And I hope I really hope that, um, you know, I get a chance to work with you on some of this film stuff. And also, uh, I need to give you an opportunity. So tell people how they can reach you or get in touch with you. Um, YouTube site, website, all that stuff. And I'll pop it up on here as well. Um, so just go ahead and tell people how they can get a hold of you or how they can donate to the cause of season two and or episode two and getting all the way through uh, your goals in, in, in this. Definitely. So this is a lot. I'm going to bounce around a little bit. So on Instagram, I am Kristen Gupta, G-U-P-T-A, my new name. Um, on Facebook, you can find me at Kristen Beal. My website that has um, a short video of me, the link to my episode, um, you know, you can sign up for my weekly comics and, you know, you can read an excerpt and you can order my books. <laughs> Pause. Um, it's kristenbeal.com and then there will be a link to that in the um, episode also. And um, let's see. what. Oh, okay. So also every week I put out a weekly comic on Instagram and that's going to be at Greater Things Comics. It's just like a fun, like something I thought of that week, just like a silly, goofy way to keep you entertained once a week. And... That's all my links. And then for the date me, it's patreon.com slash date me. And that's also, you can also follow date me on um, Facebook. I date me series. 
and um, Instagram as Date Me Show. There's a lot. And there's also, a go- we also have a GoFundMe where it's Date Me episode slash Date Me episode two. See, <laughs> this is, this get is. All that stuff, if you follow my Instagram or my Facebook, you'll see it all. It'll all be there. See, that's why, that's why I was so inspired because you're still moving. You're still going. Um, you know, whatever happened in 2005 didn't stop you. It might've derailed you for a few months year or so but it it kept you're you're still going and that's very inspirational and i hoped the reason why i wanted to bring you on as well is i hoped that people could see um the inspiration in your story and i and i think and i i know that they will so thank you for coming on thank you so much i'm the happiest girl and that all that 2005 business just opened up all the doors and just made my life so much fun so i appreciate you supporting me and getting the word out there Okay, well, thank you. Uh, Hold the line for a second, uh, and then we will talk after this. And thanks, everyone, for joining. Thank you. Next on the Kennelly Speaking Podcast. My first relationship was a very abusive relationship. It was physically abusive. I left home, and I started living with this guy. And this was before the abuse started. Like, you know, I didn't recognize it. But once I moved out, oof, it was it was a very um, it wasn't that I'd never seen it before because my mother had been in a physical relationship from the time I was about five or six years old. And so I'd seen it before. Thank you for watching.